This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome. I am your host, Shane Told. It is so great to have you, whether it's the first time you've listened to this podcast or if you're a a veteran listener. This is episode number 71. Unbelievable. That's crazy, man. 71 episodes. I've done 71 intros. I'm starting to wonder if they're getting a little repetitive. I think I opened a beer last week. I don't have any gimmicks for you this time. Uh, I'm not going to do a deathcore uh, vocal style. Uh, I could try. I would just, well, here's what it would happen. If I tried to do it, I would end up doing it so many times and then editing it and it would sound like we're actually badass and cool, but it would be fake, you know, so I'm not even going to try. However, the guest today definitely knows a thing or two about deathcore vocals. I have Scott Ian Lewis of Carnifex. Uh, it was a cool interview and, um, you know, a lot of these interviews, I do them in over the phone, over FaceTime or whatever. And a lot of times when I don't do that, I do them in person and I do them like on back of a tour bus or I talk to Trent from Hands Like Houses in my car. Uh, this was actually done in a venue dressing room. I apologize for some of the background noise. At one point, we get our IDs checked, which is pretty funny for a 32-year-old and a 36-year-old respectively. But I will say, Scott is super sincere super cool and really does tell like it is and and it's a conversation i really enjoyed and i know you will too as i record this i am in downtown toronto i'm working on a bunch of new music uh really keeping busy with that uh drinking a lot of scotch watching a ton of reruns of the simpsons and of course i'm very ready for baseball season Uh, playoffs, basketball, playoff hockey, hopefully for the Toronto Maple Leafs. We shall see. That's what I've been up to. I also am going back on tour with my solo project, River Oaks. This time, we're going out west, doing some shows in Los Angeles, Anaheim, San Diego, Las Vegas. I'm also playing Chicago, which is going to be super, super cool. Tickets on sale now, riveroaksmusic.com. Expect all the River Oak songs that have ever been recorded. <laughs> I will play all those. I'll be doing a boatload of Silverstein acoustic songs and, of course, some covers and stuff. Uh, tickets are, like, really cheap. Like, I think it's, like, 12 or 13 bucks. So, again, the link is riveroaksmusic.com. Check that out. Uh, as always, feel free to get in touch with me if you like the show. If you don't like the show, whatever, I love your feedback. We're on all the social medias. I'm just search us lead singer syndrome you'll find it'll pop up no problem uh and also we have an email address which i do check all the emails i don't always get back to everybody because i do get a lot but i do read them all and the email address is lead singer syndrome at gmail.com if you want to leave me a message you can call the hate line it's 657-666-HATE that's right. There's got to be some people that think I'm doing a terrible job and want to let me have it. So that's why we have the hate line set up again. 657-666-H-A-T-E. Give me a call. Also got to give a big shout out to all the sinners. Thank you for being a part of the All Access Club. If you need more content on a monthly basis, if you need more interaction with other fans of the show, with myself, if you want to get some sweet merchandise, the only way to do that is to become a part of the Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club. Check that out as well. It's leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. And yeah, it's sick. So check it out. Only $6 a month gets you in. And it really does help us keep the lights on around here. Another way you can support the show, if you buy anything on Amazon, please use our Amazon affiliate link. All you do is go to leadsingersyndrome.com slash Amazon. See, it's always the website and then a slash something. So this one is slash Amazon, and it'll take you directly to the Amazon homepage. Login is normal. You won't even know what happened, but anything you buy the show gets 4 to 6% of that, and it costs you absolutely nothing. So 
I don't know. I don't know what holidays are coming up. There's always birthdays. There's always stuff. Uh, I don't know. March is March is kind of a weird month, but I know there's a lot of birthdays coming up in March. It just feel like a lot of people are born in March. I could be wrong. However, use the link. Again, it's leadsingersyndrome.com slash Amazon. Anyways, let's get on to this week's episode and my conversation with Southern California's finest, Mr. Scott Lewis of Carnifex. Hell shows me. Center vocal check. Center, center vocal check. Can we start right there? Do we start right there? Isn't that the worst part of of being a singer? Having to check the microphone over and over again and having to say things? Or is your sound guy pretty fast? Uh, we do work with great engineers, uh, but I don't try to be funny. I just literally stand there and go, hey, 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 one, two, hey, hey, check, check, for until yes, they tell me to stop. I do too. I go, one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Yeah. Microphone. Ch- it's yeah. I, my because days of making get, a joke of it are over. I just do it. After you've been doing it for more than ten years, like come on, what are you gonna do? I used to do I stupid things jokes. where I'd pick a subject and I'd be like, I'd pick, I'd food and I'd start. I'd go apple, banana, carrot, and I just that requires too much thought. Way too much thought. I'm usually texting at the same time <laughs> or writing an email. Right, man. I'm here with Scott from Carnifex. Uh, nice to have you back in Canada. Great to be back. Uh, let's go with the classic, how is the tour going so far question? The tour is going fantastic, actually, which is not something that can always be said, uh, but this tour is doing quite well, and uh, it's, it's, I'm happy. And is it, are you guys doing a co-bill with Despised? Is it you guys As of today, yeah. As of today, so it's kind of for the Canadian dates. Yeah, well, I guess... I mean, yeah, you know, they're closing that out, but it's mm-hmm. cool. But you know how that stuff goes. Yeah. Yeah. For it's, the most part, yeah. It's, we're team. We're working together. We're a team here. It's a team effort. It's a team effort, yeah. Uh, it was cool because, like, you know, we've known the Despise guys for a long time. They took us out a long time ago. We went to Europe with them for the first time. Yep. Uh, you know, so it's it was cool. I just hit up Alex and... Uh, we just made it happen and cool. kind of just made it work where, you know, the managers and the agents and right. everyone was, what about this? What about that? We're like, we'll just <laughs> let us, we'll figure it out. Let's figure it out. We'll make it work. Sure. <laughs> no, that's great. And, um, what are your thoughts in Canada? You get, you like some, I know you guys are from San Diego. Mm-hmm. Obviously you're American, whatever. Usually Americans tend to like Canada. I think it's cute. Uh, but also being from San Diego, like growing up, you never experienced any kind of winter weather, did you? No, I grew up in Los Angeles, and then uh, we, uh, you know, my family moved uh, right before I went into junior high. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the, my weather went from great in LA to better in San Diego. So <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't actually. I was never in physically in snow until I went on tour. Right. Uh, I just imagine that, like, like we we did a record one time with a guy Cameron Webb, who's producer from. I guess he's from like grew up in Newport Beach and it was the same thing he came up here to do one of our records it's like dead of winter it's his culture shot and he's like I don't know like because we you know we rent a car for him whatever he's yeah. like I've never driven the snowman I don't know if I can do it yeah and this like a guy's like 30 35 he's not yeah. a kid right he's like freaking out so I just imagine you guys being like alright we're doing our first like winter tour mm-hmm. east coast whatever February what was that like for you guys as a bunch of kids from Southern California? Um, well, probably much like you, man. I spent my entire 20s on the road. I, sure. s- I started touring when I was 21. So it was like, I've not only was I like growing up just in general and right. get, surviving my 20s, yeah. but I was on the road for all of it. So it was kind of like figuring out how to drive with a van and trailer <laughs> in the snow was just one more thing on a very long list of like make it to the next day you know and it was like get through it yeah it was like finding out what winter tires are we didn't know this was a thing (laughs) we just thought there was tires yeah and then you get out there and they're like well what about your winter tires we're like 
We got the tire. I don't know what what wooden tire. So you talking about? So I know it's, it seems bizarre, but it was just stuff we never encountered. Uh, like so many things, you know, the the snow is, I guess, a good analogy. So for so many other things that you just didn't know about, right? Right. I like that. I uh, yeah. It, it is funny too, man. How you go from there's this transition, right? Where you go from being excited, your kids, you're mm-hmm. in a van. And you never think about, like, a career. No. You think about, do we have enough money to get to the next show? Do we have, like, some place to sleep? Yeah. We don't really care where, just someplace. No. Uh, and is there, like, anyone at the shows? And then eventually, as your band gets bigger and bigger, you know, you get spoiled in some ways. But there's never, like, a defining moment when that happens, is there? Or do you think there is? No, I think it's incremental. I think, yeah, I think you go from, like... Being so happy to even have a show to play. Right. And then it's, we're playing out of town. I remember the first time, I still remember, like, the first time we played out of San Diego. Yeah. And that was, like, a thing. That was cool. You know, sure. we, like, got all our friends together. And we're like, we all got to go up there, you know, and make this big show. We played up in Orange County. And we played in, in Fullerton. And um, it's just incremental. And then I, rem- I remember the first time we had a good merch night. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I do you remember? And it was like $300. But that was like, you know, normally it's yeah. like you would sell like four shirts. Sure. And that's that's just what is what it is, you know? Because we were open up for national acts and just playing backyard shows and those types mm-hmm. of things. But I remember this, this the first time when we made 300 bucks on merch. I couldn't believe it, you know? And that, I remember those those little steps of just getting there. And I remember when... We finally got like a real trailer, and we were like, "So right? I remember the first tour we did where we had like our double axle, like big, like drop gate trailer, right? And everyone else like has a got six their six by twelve or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. well, it's seven by twelve. Yeah, everyone has their little shot ass trailers, and we roll up on the tour. And we got the real trailer. I remember yeah. that moment, <laughs> you know. And it's like, I yeah, it's just incremental. You get there bit by bit, and then it's like now. Like this tour, uh, you know, I I do all the accounting for the band and the business for the band. It's like this this tour was like our biggest merch order ever, right? You know what I mean. So now there's that milestone. I have a forty eight thousand dollars merch bill waiting for me at home. You know, so it's like there's always like these little markers, you know, and it's like we're it's cool because we've been around for 12 years but like we had such a slow crawl right like we we really struggled for so long and I, it's not like we made it now but things are more i guess consistent at least absolutely that's yeah. that's a great way to put it and i always felt like your band uh, i want to start from the beginning actually but but i always felt like your band had a bit of a rough like ride in terms of like people taking you guys seriously oh you're t- you're nail on the head yeah and i mean maybe that stems a little bit from the victory thing which mm-hmm. is obviously a huge thing my band went through we did four records with victory like yeah so uh, maybe that's where it stems from but but let's go even further back and like obviously you say you're from los angeles originally moved to san diego how did you get into becoming a metal singer <laughs> I mean for lack of a better yeah term. like what were you got obviously got some heard some band you got decided you wanted to well, be it, a part of something it was actually it was actually theater you know I was in drama uh, like drama class at school and live theater w- was something I was always interested in okay um you know I, I there's a lot of musicals I watched as a kid that impacted me um I remember just my only sort of friend group or click group was the live theater group. Right. So, like, when we would do the plays, uh, I just, you know, I was always around people that were performing and creating some type of art, you know? Right. Uh, and granted, you know, uh, junior high school plays are probably <laughs> walking the line of art. <laughs> but the point was, I was around people putting getting on stage and doing something that people watched right and then from there it turned into me trying to be a drummer and being okay enough to jam with garage bands yeah and then just realized that i was more drawn to writing and sort of like the creative aspect of it outside of the technicality of the music 
more like right. More of like the emotional aspect Ooh, of song. We got writing. a dance, a little dance party going on here. <laughs> this is wonderful. Sorry, continue. Uh, like the more you know, as a vocal, I'm not sure if you play an instrument. Yeah, I play guitar and okay. some drums and bass. So like, I consider myself a songwriter, but uh, more in like almost the producer aspect rather than the I'm going to pick up a guitar and play a riff. Yeah. What I can do is I can sit down with musicians. And put together a song. That's my skill set. Right. So it's like I kind of was more drawn to that early on, and maybe I didn't have like the instrumental gift. Yep. Rather than like I kind of had the ear gift, if sure. that makes any sense. I absolutely get it. I totally get it. Yeah. So uh, that was kind of there early on. I think I always just liked writing and telling stories. Yep. And you know, like the adventure movies of the '80s were like huge for me. Cool. So that kind of instilled this idea to want to like just have narrative you know and talk about things absolutely absolutely so at this time you're in you're talking about junior high and stuff Mm -hmm. Uh, what was your family structure like did you have like your parents together your brothers and sisters yeah so I had an older sister Um, she had her own set of struggles I had a much younger brother that uh, you know everything was great but he was just much younger than mm-hmm. me so it wasn't there was not real whole lot of like social interaction right. like yep. we didn't share a friend group or anything like right. that um my parents were fairly strict uh early on until they got divorced they got divorced when i was 14 and then it was oh, like wow. then it was the free-for-all <laughs> no rules right. after that right <laughs> and subsequently i ended up dropping out of high school a few years after when i was 16 uh, and that was when I really sort of left the live theater and just did all bands. Right. Uh, and I just was, that's when I just started doing bands. And I tried real hard to like, I don't know that make a career, I don't think I thought in terms of make a career in a band, but I tried real hard to be in a band that I thought sounded good at least. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. I mean, so, so it was like Carnifex in terms of your... You know, you say you start touring at 21, 16 is when you started with bands. Were you pretty much with the same kind of guys, or were you in a bunch of different bands uh, in high school? Uh, I mean, you know how it is. I think it's like one or two guys are like always in the band. Like, it's right, a different right. dude, Like, but it's like always like someone that was in that Because there's like band. one really good drummer, or maybe two drummers in the whole scene. Yeah, right. So Especially it, in metal. Yeah, so it's, it was pretty incestuous as far as band members go. Right. And, um, yeah, it was just, you know, you try to make it happen and, you know, like there's always, pardon me, there's always a guy that's like this dedicated and there's the guy that like, I don't want to give up my Saturday night and you know how it goes. So you just go through that process and I got to the point where I sort of just, you know, it ran its course at about 19 and I was working quite a bit and just, you know, that was that. And then I met Sean a year after that, uh, when I was 20, and we started Carnifex in August of 2005. There you go. Yeah. And here we and here we are. Uh, it's been a meandering road. Tell me about uh, it for you guys. Um, now, obviously, we have a big common thing to talk about here, both being Victory alumni artists, mm-hmm. um, Sur- both survivors. Did you put four records out, or th- we did three? Three. We, we did four yeah. as well. We did four. Now, did you guys finish your your deal? How did it work? Because there was a bit of a hiatus thing. I'm kind of wondering. Actually, let's start with how did you first get hooked up with Victory? How did that happen? We were on tour with Amir in June of 2007. Right. And Victory came out to a show to watch them play, and we were on the tour with them. Oh, wow. Uh, so they, they gave them an offer like the week after that. And they gave us an offer in September. So June, just was it two and a half, three months? Right. So, yeah. And back then, uh, you know, you're, you're clueless. We did the total clueless 21-year-old sign a contract without a lawyer thing. Oh, boy. Um, basically, it was darkest hours on victory. Right. Um, uh, between the Baratomies on victory. Our friends in Amir. Pardon me. Or on victory, yeah. Or you know, just signed to victory. So when you get a when you go from doing your debut record, which we did on like it's a total indie for yeah. six hundred bucks, that was our budget, six hundred dollars. I know, right? 
And then you see a contract that says twenty thousand. Right. You're like, why? Why wouldn't we sign right. this? You look at all the bands that are on it. Right. Our friends just signed, and the mirror was blowing up right then. Yeah. So we saw how good they were doing, and it was like, this is what we need to do. Duh. Sure. Right. Yeah. But you must have heard some of the horror stories. I mean, no, no. Like, you can just Google it. Really, like, I mean, maybe not in the met. Like, there weren't all the, all the metal bands you mentioned, but of course, like, there was the whole thing with like, well, Treyu. Trey's Southern California band. They yeah. had, you know, I think at that point, what was this like? I guess you think that like those are like, those are big bands. They have their own problems. That's not us. Right. You know what I mean? Because it's like, they're a Treyu, like, oh, there's probably like big lawyer and management and they're selling millions of records and like, well, that, what does that have to do with us? Right. We're just a metal band. Like, we're never going to be that bad. So why does... But well, you know. that's the same thing that happened with Solar State. Yeah, I mean, we, you're we, like. We, I remember we were in the studio. We were doing our debut, our debut record for Victory. Uh huh. We only had like ten grand. That was only our, ours, our budget. Which, which at the time the exchange rate it was great because it was like sixty. It was like oh, okay. one sixty. So it was like sixteen grand to oh, make a record, which was pretty good. Hey, that works out. So I remember we were in the studio and uh, Taking Back Sunday had just crossed a hundred thousand records sold. Oh wow. And that's like for us, like that's crazy. That never happened to us. And we said to our producer, if we ever saw a hundred thousand, if this record sells a hundred thousand, we'll like buy you this like crazy amp we were using or whatever. The record sold well over a hundred thousand copies, and we never bought him the fucking amp. Oh come what on a, now! What a bunch of pricks! Come we on thought, now! Oh, we're like, oh, when we sell a hundred thousand records, we'll be swimming in money, dude. We'll be like, you know, yeah, right. But that's not how it works. It's I know you guys sold works. probably a hundred thousand records too over, uh, over the course of your career with Victory. Yeah, I mean, I, we sold ninety thousand with Victory between the three records, and uh, you know the. Record prior, I think, is at twenty eight thousand, which yeah, was I mean, huge for an indie. Solid, That's why solid. they came to us with the money. Is that you know we had right. the MySpace hype was like real, and it like yeah. you could sell you could sell records because of MySpace in two thousand seven, and we did. We you know that that first record sold quite a bit, um, and yeah, and no, we never got a check from them. Ever. I mean, we got our checks for the studio. Right, well, we didn't. The people did. That you know, because our budget was entirely went to the studio. Well, they need a re- they need a something. They need what do you want to call it? Like an inventory. Like they need yeah, a product. Yeah. They need a product right, to sell. Right. So of course they have to pay those people. Yeah. But I mean, I've I've heard of Victory stiffing like producers before. I don't know if it's all true. I'm mean, it's hearsay, but you know. Yeah, I mean, I know the guys we worked with got paid. That's all yeah. I can attest to. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I could take like I said, ninety thousand records on. And I never got a check from well, them. Well, you've been pretty candid in some interviews about being like. You, I mean, I've heard you call Victory a shit label. Have I? I mean, maybe that was our drummer. <laughs> I, mean, I, I try to be okay. a little more diplomatic. Okay, I can uh, respect that. Then, then I'm sorry to put words in your mouth like that. Uh, but you know, did you? How did it all shake out with Victory? Were there a lot of problems, and how did you end up moving on from the label, and now you're I just, you're still here, and you still have a great career? Yeah, I just think that um, I think that you know when you sign a band, you should let them do them, and mm-hmm. uh, we were very restricted in things we were able to do, not necessarily directly, but it's just like the amount of money that we had and how far it had to go. Yeah. It means you can only pick from this pool of producers. It means you can only shoot these kind of music videos. Yeah. And it was just limiting, and that's... I'm not saying that we need some blank check to go out and do it. But to use an example uh, with Nuclear Blast, we went to them. We had, a, you know, hey, they gave us X amount of dollars for, for music videos. Right. I wrote up some treatments. I sat down with the with the label manager, who's an amazing guy. Uh, like really a guy that gets it and said look this is going to cost more but here's where it's going this is what we believe in like this is the way to put the record and he looked through and he's like no we're on board yeah what, right. do you, what do you need we'll do it and then guess what we had the best first week ever, chart ever and when the, our career should be in the shitter because we're a MySpace band that's been out around for 12 years on record <laughs> 6 like we're, we should have been done right. like 5 years ago you know so then uh Sorry, man. 
Oh, really? Oh, this is cool. Uh, I'm not drinking, if that matters. Uh, you still gotta make sure you can be identified, worst case scenario, right? I'm an old man, 32. This there has you never go. happened you know, in the middle of my podcast before. You're a few before. months older than I am. I'm not an old man. <laughs> I'm not an old man either, right? Oh, yeah. Now, now my age man. is on the podcast. There you go. Uh, I'm a, yeah, I'm a mess. Try and find a light spot. There, there you go. Thank you, my friend. Um, there we go. This shit's real, man. I'm not gonna edit that either. That's, no, this it is it. the real. This is the struggle is real. Yeah. But okay. But but I mean, you talk about the stuff like you have best first weeks, record six. Yeah. Nuclear blast and nuclear blast. Not as big a label as Victory. Not even close. Well, they are now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, also, you know, but, well, right now they are. But, but, you, also, I, I I will put one little aside in there. Yeah. Globally, they've always been bigger. That's fair. Absolutely. Dude, I've been to that German office, and you're like, what's this band I've never right. heard of? Yeah, three million records sold. You're like, well, that's crazy. And then you look over here, and it's like some giant photo they blew up of them that sold out. You're like, I didn't know Epica sold out 20,000 tickets in oh, Germany. Yeah. Well, Germany. Turns out they do. Germany is very crazy. <laughs> I, mean, if, I don't know if you guys have done like Rock and Ring or those festivals we, and stuff. We have. Not like, that particular one, but we have done some big ones. Some of there. the big ones there. And like, you'll look at the headliners, they'll be like... like who the fuck is in Extremo? You know what I mean? Like some band headlining and it's just like this yeah. massive German band. It's like massive. the weirdest music. But, it, you know, they know what they're doing over there, man, for sure. They do. But, but I mean, my question was, was you see the success you can have if you put a little into it. Yeah. A little bit of money and a label that's understanding the, the direction. There must be a, I don't want to say regret because it's a strong word, but there must be like a like, fuck, if on our second record or third record, we really could do what we wanted to do mm-hmm. maybe we could be you know I've, we've had that conversation in the band and I've had that conversation with myself uh, and it's one of those things where like I look at the victory experience and it had its challenges without question it had a lot of challenges yeah. but it also kind of was like a refined in the fire type of thing like it really made us the band we are today uh and it wasn't it gives you a resiliency oh it does and it makes you it it makes you figure out how to find a way you know so because of that uh we learned a lot of lessons become of because of that experience and they were hard lessons but we learned them and i think you know like things like when a label comes to you and says oh hey we want the record this time Previously, we were just were kind of like, well, I guess that's when we have to do it. But with NB, it was like, when are you guys thinking about doing a record? And we go, well, we need time to write. So we waited 28 months. Which for bands like us, you get it. The agents go, I can't, 28 months. You guys got to give me a record than that. I can't put you out right. on the I need a record every 16 months, you know? Right. And it just doesn't work for us. You know what I mean? Like, we're yeah. A, we're slow writers. Yeah. B, we're huge rewriters. See, we tour a shitload, and we do not ride on the road because we just we don't ride on the road either. We just you, we just look at when you're your own crew, and I mean we're doing a bus on this tour, yes, but for the, all the other tours, we've done a van. We do our own driving. We push our own gear. Like we usually TM ourselves. We usually just bring a sound engineer and a merch person. You know, right? And it's like there's no and look. I mean, okay, you can't the listeners can't see it, but we're in a backstage room, and it's not it's nowhere to pull your guitar out, track riffs. Not really, man. And this is the everyday. You know, this yeah. is the norm. So yeah. r- riding on the road doesn't work. So I think part of the reason those NB records have done so well was, yeah, NB knows what the fuck they're doing. And they know when to let an artist do his thing and, like, trust their vision and say, okay, we're behind it. But uh, also is... Um, we know, uh, we, we knew, like, look, we need to give ourselves time. And they trusted us with that. Yeah. And look at the results we got. We got Die Without Hope, which was our second best first week, was our first best until, yeah. you know, until Slow Death came out. And it, it's just a great team effort of them knowing when to hang back and right. them knowing when to come in and support us. Do you think the hiatus helped you, though? Like, like taking uh, whatever it was, like a year? It helped me or, up here. Right. You know, I was kind of fucked up too. I was going through a lot of personal stuff, so it was like I sort of lost my vision for what I was even doing. Your direction. Yeah, like what? What is this band? What's the thesis of Carnifex? Like, 
why am I here? Why am I on stage? What am I talking about? Mm-hmm. What do we mean to the people that are listening? What are we trying to say? I sort of lost yeah. that. This things got convoluted and uh, yeah. about, like you're saying you do the business of the band, you're doing the, you're worrying about all these logistical things and not thinking about it, the creative side. Yeah, and it was just like, yeah, we were having a lot of problems on the business side. And it was just like we went from being, you know, jamming in Sean's bedroom to where we were. And we never got a second to stop and process it all and be like, where right. are we now? Where are we going? Right. And the hiatus enabled us to do that. Where are we now? Where are we going? What do we want to do? Like before it was always just survive. That was our existence. Get to the next day, get this tour, sell this merch. Right. That's it. That was what all we thought in terms of. And then when we had the break, you got, I'm, it probably sounds pretentious, but it was like, you was able to like, be like, what, what's the vision here? What are we trying to say? What do we want to be? Yeah. You know, and that was where, like, I think that's partially why people are responding to the records more. Sure. Well, what did you do personally for whatever it was a year? Yeah, it was 18 months. We were off the road. I wrote, me and Sean wrote Dive Without Hope together, just like we wrote Dead in My Arms together. And it was just me going over to his uh, apartment and he'd play riffs. And I'd say, that's cool. That sucks. That's cool. That sucks. Mm-hmm. So that's how we wrote Dive Without Hope. And then I was working. Uh, I was working for a guy named Paul Conroy, a name you might know. Yeah. Uh, he, w- had, he at the time he was managing some uh, business assets f- for uh, Rob Deerdick, the skater, and he had a athlete management company called Crush Sports Management, and I was working for them, right? Uh, doing ath- athlete management. I was like a day to day guy for Paul and another oh, agent crazy. that worked different. there, a guy named Keith. Different it, world? Different world, same exact. sports guy? Um, I like hockey. Oh, well, you're in the right place. Kings fan. Uh, and, uh, and I like MMA, although it's like totally, I'm like pretty liberal, so it's like completely opposite of what you would think is like such a meathead sport. But uh, I do like <laughs> MMA for whatever reason. Sure. And uh, so they were managing uh, MMA fighters. Okay. And they were managing like X Games athletes. Right. So it was so not, not mainstream sports. Well, I mean, well, you know what I mean. MMA, you know what I mean, though. Not like baseball players or no. It wasn't. Kind of it wasn't like NBA, NFL yeah, yeah. type stuff. But yeah. So it was a different medium. But a lot mm-hmm. of the things that I did as like a tour manager. And and like dealing with agents and managers in the band capacity, it was a lot of very similar things in sure. that job. That's it was entertainment just, too, right? It was really the same thing. People go somewhere, they need stuff done. There's an itinerary. Get this guy on flights. It was. It's like all the same right. stuff. You're just not sending them to a venue. You're sending them to like the the X Games or the whatever. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of the same stuff. So there was a lot of parallels where that was a pretty easy position to step into. And the guy that I was working for directly, uh, who was a really great guy, he had, he had just stepped away from being a manager for a lot of bands as well. Right. So we both came from the same world. Paul, obviously, yeah, was from the music a, world. Was Good Fight? Was he, was he that was, his company? Initially, he was with Good Fight, or Channel Zero as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I know he stepped away from band management. And, and so that's interesting. Um, yeah, I remember I went to, uh, I went to Leafs game this year, and they played the Kings, and I believe... It was seven nothing Kings. We uh, got crushed. They're, the Kings are very manic. They will oh. they will go crush a team, and you're like, yeah. And yeah. then and then you'll be like, I'll be on IG and I'll see like the results, and I'll be like, one to five to the Coyotes. What the? Well, yeah. Fuck? Well, you're like, what have you done? They're kind of a slow team. I mean, Ginla. They got a Ginla, right? That's kind of a crazy pickup. Yeah, he's an old man. But. Yeah, and they they they're a team that I really feel like just sort of. He messes around in the in the begin in the early season, and then when he gets close to playoffs, they're like, "Oh, oh I guess, yeah, I guess we should win some games." Know. And then you, you know, they did that in, in uh, what twelve when they won yeah. the cup. They were like, the whole beginning of the season was like a disaster, and then they just well, eat by every step they, of the way. But that was when they were the eighth seed. 
Yeah. And they and they were down, weren't they down 3 nothing? And they came back and won the cup? Uh, yeah, against the, du- against the Ducks. Insane, yeah, I, I'm just like, insane. you're stressing me out of here. Like, they lose every game possible and then just win them all in a row. You're like, okay, that's cool, but don't do that again. I'm glad we can. We do this a lot on the podcast where we go off on tangents and talk about random sports games. Uh, I just got sent awesome new wireless earbuds from Raycon. I opened the box, opened up my phone, and literally in less than a minute, I was jamming out to my favorite tunes. What struck me right away was how well these fit and then how amazing they sound. Definitely more bass than my other wireless headphones. But the biggest game changer is the price. The E25 earbuds they sent me start at half the price of other premium wireless earbuds on the market, have six hours of playtime, and really are super comfortable, whether it's music, conference calls, or binging this podcast. And there's no dangling wires or stems to distract other people if you're on a video call. The company was co-founded by Ray J and celebrities like Snoop Dogg, Mike Tyson, and Melissa Etheridge are just a few people obsessed with Raycons. Whether you're working from home or working on your fitness, you want what you're listening to to be what you're listening to, not the other distractions from the room. Everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds, but before you drop hundreds of dollars on a pair, check out wireless earbuds from Raycon. Now's the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash LSS. That's B U Y R A Y C O N dot com slash LSS for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. By Raycon.com slash LSS. If you're in tech, you've been there before. Feeling the pain of hiring a freelancer or new employee for designer development only to find out months later that it's not a fit. And those types of mistakes aren't cheap. Instead, Mutual Mobile, a digital technology consultancy, uses the process it's developed over the past 10 years, delivering over 600 client projects to ensure your fast and beautiful mobile or web app is finished on time and within budget. Mutual Mobile has built apps for numerous companies that have been acquired, such as Eero, acquired by Amazon, FlexDrive, acquired by Lyft, and MapMyFitness, acquired by Under Armour. You get a dedicated team to help you with your tech project from start to finish, from ideation to product shipment to maintenance and everywhere in between. Mutual Mobile designs and builds beautiful mobile and web apps that increase the value of your business. If you have design or development needs, schedule a free 30-minute consultation at mutualmobile.link slash LSS to get started. That's M-U-T-U-A-L-M-O-B-I-L-E dot L-I-N-K slash L-S-S to get started with your free consultation today. The, um, but back to the, the hiatus in and. You know, we talked about the success you guys had recently with your records charting higher and stuff. Do you think going away, people were like, maybe people took your band for granted a little bit? Like, as we talked about early on, mm-hmm. you were always sort of the under-the-radar band. You maybe weren't getting on the coolest tours. You maybe weren't getting... Or if we were, you know, we were one of. Sure, things like that. You yeah. weren't getting treated amazingly. No. And But you have real fans. We do. And when all of a sudden you guys are like, yeah, you know, we're, we're gone... Or whatever, we're taking a break. We don't know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Scott's got to get his shit together. Yeah. Were the fans, like, when you guys were finally back, they're like, oh, fuck. Like, we need to support this band. We missed this band. This band is actually special. Do you uh, think that, that was a, there was an element of that to it? An element to I, I definitely now? do. You know, there's that, what was that movie where they said going out of business is good for business? Uh, right, right. I think there's something to that. Um, and also, I think I think it was all those things you said. And when we came back, I think it was a good record. So I think it was like yeah. everything together. Everything I think we came back with a great shot. Label. Yeah, great right. label too. I think if we came back with a shot record, it probably wouldn't have mattered. <laughs> but thankfully, we we were able to write a record that connected, and the label like believed in us, which was awesome. And we also like had a great agent yeah. that like believed in us too, and a great manager, and it, like. It, we were just got fortunate that people like that kind of knew like we were always like in the fight like the good guys 
when we came back and then it's like now and now we have this label that's really like behind the band that was like i think changed a lot of people's attitudes about us for sure for sure well there's also the whole like i mean you guys have been like called labeled a like deathcore band mm -hmm. i don't know if you care about that label if that uh, was even it probably wasn't even a label when you started the band so in 2005 whatever. it was not no but uh <laughs> you know your style of music that you guys are are associated with it's kind of gone the way of screamo like my band and, oh, and there's always the like dead, there's yeah. only a couple bands left in some of these genres and you're yeah. one of them so you come back after 18 months and it's like oh fuck like Hold on to them. Where, like, we're yeah. still here, and then a lot of bands that you probably were touring were gone. Uh, like, is that ever thought in your mind about absolutely? That, yeah, or, or do you kind of just ignore it? No, it's a thought, man. I mean, look at the landscape from when we started and when we got some notoriety. Oh five, oh six. Who is still around from then? Like, it's yeah. it's, it's almost it's suicide silence. Whitechapel, wow. yeah. uh, I mean, they started right. about a year and a half after us, but yes, Whitechapel, and then Despise is, you know, sure. well, is they, back, but, on, they, but it's on again, off again, yeah. So it's like, who else? Like, all those heavy hitters yeah. are gone. Job is gone, All Shall Parish is gone, right. you know, like, you name them. All those big MySpace bands, just, they just are done, you know, for what different reasons. And, uh, I mean, it is how we made it. I don't know. Maybe being under the radar and being on victory was like the blessing in disguise because people didn't get burned out on us. <laughs> you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is, this is the thing. This is why we talk about this shit. It's like, it's, it's interesting, man. Like, you know, I always talk, like when I talk to bigger artists and stuff on the show, um, a lot of them have had like previous success, like huge song on the radio. They yeah. sold all these records and a lot of those bands really don't last yeah. because when you when you have this hype whether it's myspace hype or radio hype or whatever hype uh you you get a lot of fake fucks coming to your show sure a lot of people that are there because it's cool because right. it's the latest thing i'm gonna wear a carnifex shirt because not because i really like the band but because this chick i think is hot thinks right. the band's cool you know and eventually that style goes away and in this whether if there's no substance it doesn't matter right so yeah. i feel like with your band you've had the substance so you've been able to maintain a good level with real fans coming out i mean i was just standing in line yeah. waiting for you to, to come out and get me it's just like every kid's wearing a carnifex shirt like well that's they're good stoked to hear. man <laughs> they're stoked yeah you know we do have real fans and i think what's funny i think some of the reason we have real fans is something we got a lot of shit for in the beginning which is because my lyric style is very different than most deathcore bands especially deathcore bands from our era the oh five oh six deathcore bands were all about like sort of the cannibal corpse worship lyrics and i never took that approach i always wrote these sort of like emo lyrics but they could have been like you know, they could have it could have been like you know Thursday lyrics essentially. Right. I mean, maybe you know he's probably not dropping as many f bombs, but it was more about like personal. <laughs> I wrote about personal shit. Right. I didn't write about like hacking people up, right, and stuff like that. I it just I could never relate to that. And go, kind of going back to like how I ended up here, like I was drawn to narrative through being feeling a connection through the movies I saw and the human emotions in those films, and so. And then also my early musical influences like Nine Inch Nails and um, uh, like the grunge bands. Uh, Man, and I guess I've been Nine Inch Nails. Nine Inch Nails probably for me biggest lyrical influence. Oh yeah, trans no one trans talks about how great Nine Inch Nails lyrics are. They're fantastic, and they saved my life. And that's that's a true story. Well, I had a lot of lows in my life where literally having Trent's voice uh, in my ear saying what I'm feeling and going like. Well, I guess I don't, I'm not the only person that feels like this. At least I can wow. listen to Trent. Wow. Uh, you know, that was that was huge for me. And so I think I felt, like, compelled, probably through hero worship, but also just through, like, going back to, like, why am I here to, like, write about something that matters. Now, granted, when you're writing your first record, you don't really know how to do that. So the lyrics are probably garbage. But the intent was there. Right, you know, you know and mm -hmm. and now many years later, I feel like I do know how to not only write a good song musically, but lyrically, I feel like I can write 
something that c- conveys the emotion I want to convey. Crazy, yeah. No, um, are you when you write lyrics? What's your what's your approach? Approach? Do you like? Do you just kind of sit on your couch and work? Do you, are you a fast writer? Are you a slow writer? I'm a, I'm a cumulative writer. I write all, all the time. All the time. Right. And you're a journal guy. Squirrel it away. Mm-hmm. And then I work so much in the, with the music process. So immediately when I'm getting riffs, I'm already like attaching little oh. lyric ideas to it. And then I'll go in and, and me and Sean do all the arranging and we'll arrange a song and then... I'll already kind of have an idea of where what that song is going to be and what lyrics are going to live with that song. And then it's kind of a middle out process. I'll build my choruses. It's like those are my main points I really want to focus on. Right. Lyrics here that are relatable, memorable, but have the little hook in them. Right. You know? Sure. And then I'll fill out the verses once I have those anchors with yeah the, with the theme that the song is. It's funny that's that's probably the smart way to do it and the right way to do it. But I think <laughs> a lot of people are like, "What's the first line of the song?" And they start there, and then it kind yeah. of builds. And then you know, I always tell people when they when they ask about. Oh, how do I write lyrics? How do I write lyrics? And I always say, like, stay away from the perfect rhymes. Yeah. Like the, you know, the fire and desire. Sure. Like, yeah. and when you start writing, because then what happens is instead of you writing the song, the song writes you. Yeah, you're just trying to find a word that rhymes. You know what I mean? And then, and then all of a sudden you're like, okay, well, that's not the perfect line for what I want to say, but it's okay. But it's Next okay. line. And then you're you get so far off track. Right. So I think you're right. When you start with a chorus, that that's the main idea then you can really work it backwards and be like, okay, how are these two verses or versed bridge, whatever it is, how are they going to relate to my uh-huh. point? Which is, yeah. hey, you're you're teaching me things. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, I think what it is is because, like, when I think in terms of story, you know, because when I write, whether I'm writing a script or something that's, right. like, in a not novel-type form, you don't... The first scene is not necessarily what you see in your head, and then you don't come to, like... The big reveal on page sixty-eight. You kind of have the big reveal in your head. You're like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if, if like this thing happened? And then you figure out how do I get to that thing, right? And it's sort of the same approach with the songwriting. It's like, I really like this chorus. This says something. Okay, cool. Now I just gotta get myself there. Yeah. I have my destination. Now yeah. I just gotta get there. Mm-hmm. And so when I, you know, when I'm writing outside of music, I, it's the same approach. I have my concept, my theme, and my big moments. Right. Just like, you know, you have your big moments in your movies, you're like, your, your Oscar speeches or whatever, right? And you just got to get yourself there. Everything else is just the scenes to get you there. You know, I've heard, it was, I can't think of the director now, I wish I could remember his name and give him the credit for it, but basically, what he was saying was like, look, like, you don't write a movie from page one. All you do is think of these moments, these human moments, and then you just get yourself there and get yourself to the next one. And that's kind of that approach with choruses. Not to say the verses don't matter, but a similar process. Like the choruses are what matter, and I just gotta get myself there. Yeah. There you go. It's cool. I get. I wonder, I'm exposing all my secrets. No, I'm thinking <laughs> about now. Like you're talking about how your lyrics are different than a lot of bands in deathcore, and they're. I mean, they're obviously just so much more relatable. Like, who can really relate to? Like, I mean, I love Campbell Corpse as much as the next guy, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I'm, I'm not, like, listening to Fucked With a Knife and being like, oh, yeah, this is, uh... Sure. This was my last Saturday night. Like, where yeah, that's, I that's my heart broken. Like, yeah. that's not, you know, it's it's more of a, a, a fact. So I wonder if that makes fans have a deeper connection to your band. It, it does. It's possible. I believe that it does, and I believe that it draws a different kind of fan. Yeah. Not to yeah. uh, take anything away from anybody's fan base. Oh, um, I want Corpse Grinder on the show, man, so bad. That's Cor- like, Corpse Grinder is actually a good friend. I, oh, yeah? Can you is. put in a good word for me? I'll, I will. Because uh, um, I'm a huge Cannibal fan. So. We we did the tour with them last summer, and then we did a European tour with them. And they're honestly like those guys have the least amount of rock star. Oh, I believe it. Ever. They're just five dudes still playing metal, no egos, no rock star. I just like we always joke like if we ever make it to like forty five and we're still playing metal, let's just be like those guys. Right. It's just so nice and it's no BS, you know. I love it. But uh, yeah, it's like I just try to write stuff that. Someone's gonna listen to you and be like, I feel the same way. You know? Right on, man. That's awesome. I also want to ask a little bit about before I let you go. I'm gonna take up too much more of your time. I know. Yeah, I'm gonna go. Show about to go on food. and everything. 
Uh, but uh, just vocally, like your vocal approach, your style, singing. Do you have? I always love to ask metal guys, like, are, can you sing at all? Like clean singing, like, or are you just a fucking full on screamer? Um, you know, I did some singing when I did the theater group, right? And I, I guess. The term singing is probably pretty relative at this point. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I, I probably could do some form. I can carry a note. Uh, but like screaming, uh, it would probably take me a while to get confident with it. Yeah. I think a big thing about, you know, I, I, I am happy with the voice I have on stage. And a big part of that is you have to have the confidence to believe in that voice and push that voice. And it's the same thing with theater. Like, when you're... The biggest hurdle for, like, a new person on stage when you're young is that confidence to project. And in that projection is where you really find your voice. You know, when, when you just go all in. Think of, like, the timid drummer. It wouldn't work. Right, it wouldn't work. You, no. gotta, you gotta go ham. That's the only way the drums sound good. And similar for the vocals. Not necessarily in effort, but in mentality. Yeah. Like, you have to believe in your voice. And when you believe in your voice, I think that's where you, you, you get the sounds you want as a vocalist, whether you're singing or screaming. Yeah. I believe in my voice as a screamer so I can get what I want. And it would take me some time to believe my voice as a singer. But I think I could get there if I needed to. Would you ever try to do a different kind of musical project? Like, is that something you're interested in doing? Or is it just all Carnifex? Car- probably all Carnifex. Carnifex nice. is my baby. I, you know, I started Carnifex. I, it's like... I live it, I breathe it, I don't get a second away from it. I don't know if I have the energy to do another band and like deal with booking shows and right, writing. Right, already so much to... Yeah. My bandwidth for music is already full. I'm, I'm really focusing on film and television writing and this graphic novel I'm, I'm doing. Oh, so cool. that's my... That's, Talk about that a little bit. Can people check that out? Yeah, so it's it's uh, the script for the manuscript for the graphic novel is finished. Right now I'm working with a production company that does... Uh, comics and has a stable of artists and inkers and all those people that are going to help me adapt it uh, from script form into all the panels. And I'm hoping to have it out in the summer. Cool. But it's my first time. It's a long process. It may end up being the fall. Sure. Great, man. Well, hey, thanks uh, again for taking your time and uh, hope you have a great show tonight. Thank and, you very uh, much. Make my, make my people proud in Toronto. Oh, we'll bring the show. Yeah, uh, if anyone wants to follow me online, uh, Instagram, at Scott Ian Lewis. Scott Ian? I know, same, same, <laughs> same name. Scott Ian Lewis, at yeah. Scott Ian Lewis. There yeah. it is. Yeah, follow him. Follow him. He takes nice pictures and he loves hockey, so there you go. Thanks, man. Appreciate Thank it. you for having me. Appreciate it. Dude, thanks, man. All right. Hey, great. That's cool. That's cool. Whoop. There it is with Scott. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Oh man, what he's just honest, honest, honest guy. Loved this conversation. Loved him talking about songwriting. That was super cool too. Definitely if you're an aspiring writer, there's definitely some great shit in there. He he spilled his secrets. He even said it. So thanks a lot to Scott for doing this last minute. And thanks to Mike Mowry for setting it up. Next week we will be back as always, Monday. Make sure you're subscribed. And again, if you like the show, help us spread the word. Tell a friend, tell a loved one. Tell your mom, tell your dad, I don't know, maybe they're deathcore fans, who knows. We do all different kinds of music on Lead Singer Syndrome. The only thing that's the common denominator is it has to be a lead singer. I will leave you with the tune. As always, this is probably the heaviest shit I've ever played at the end of an episode. So fasten your seatbelts. Here's Carnifex with Die Without Hope on Lead Singer Syndrome. We'll see you next week. Shut up.
Hey, you're still here. Oh, it's so nice that you stuck around through the whole metal song to hear me talk about one last thing, which is the Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club. I kept it short in the intro, but if you got this far, I'm sure you are a big fan of the show. You've probably listened to other episodes. Thank you so much. And I really just want to tell you one more time about what the All Access Club really is. All I'll ask is you check out the link, leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. Now there's, I believe, four different tiers that go all the way from $6 up to $75 uh, per month uh, subscribing and you can get all different kinds of stuff. You get access to the merch store. We have some really, really cool stuff. It's in stock right now. We've got t-shirts, we've got hoodies, we've got enamel pins, we've got mugs. And the only way you can get that stuff is if you're a member of the club and the merch is actually pretty cheap too. So you will, you know, we're going to make some money obviously in the long run. And that's the point of this is for the support. Um, if you like the show, it is free. Um, I do this out of the goodness of my heart, but it would be nice to be able to make some money and, and, you know, be able to grow this thing and be able to do some special things with it. Another perk of being a part of the All Access Club, the longer you remember, the more stuff you get. If you're part of the $9 tier every three months, you get stuff sent to your house. And the longer you remember, you get more and more stuff as a thank you. But probably the coolest thing is the bonus content. And every month, you get a bonus episode with a non-lead singer. Also, a bunch of stuff, me talking to my friends. I actually did one this week where I'm talking to my mom. Uh, so, you know, just to get an insight into my life, uh, some people are interested in that. If you're not, well, hey, you don't even have to listen to those episodes. Also, a really, probably my favorite, favorite part is the Facebook group. And we now have 175 members on there. Pretty much all day it's going on. Uh, we've organized events. There was an event in Stockholm, which was really cool. There's an upcoming event in Texas, which is going to be really, really special. So if you join the club, be a sinner. It is really, really fun. And I guarantee you, you'll make a lot of friends. And it's really is a great group on there. Shout out to everybody, all the new members especially. But of course, all the people holding down the fort over on the Facebook group, and I love you all. That's all. I just wanted to make sure you guys checked out that link. So that's all I ask. You don't have to sign up. I know it's not for everybody. The show will always be free, so don't worry about that. But hey, if you want to help out, the link is theleadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. Thanks a lot for listening to me rant, and we'll see you next Monday.